down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sawing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul because I think I'm better than you. The boy said, my name's Johnny and it might be a sin. That was Charlie Daniels' band, The Devil Went Down to Georgia, which is a surprisingly good example of a Faustian story. Um, in this class in general, I'm going to occasionally include, well, most of the time, I'm going to include music in the actual lectures as a sort of preface thing. Um, both to introduce the material for the day and to also give you an insight into what the music is doing at this moment in time, moment in history. Um, this one's just for fun, though, so on with the lecture. Hello, and welcome to General Humanities 2. I am Professor Benjamin Kozlowski, and I will be serving as your professor in this section of our class. And it is going to be a weird one. Um... I have taught a lot of classes over the last three or four years, and in fact, General Humanities 2 was the first class I taught at Montclair. Um, but I have never taught it in conditions like this one. Um, not only do we have the whole craziness that is COVID keeping us indoors and away from campus in surprising numbers, um, but we're teaching this one completely online as an asynchronous class. I will probably never meet you. Um, at the time that I'm recording this lecture, I don't even have a class roster. Like, I'm just getting started on it really, really early. Um, but what's more, we are in a very, very compressed schedule, uh, what with only doing the second half of the semester instead of the whole semester. Um, so we're going to be packing a lot into these next seven weeks. Um, like, a lot. This is a big class to start with and so far as there's a lot to cover um the whole underlying principle behind the whole general humanities program in the humanities department at montclair um, is that it is a survey course it covers just a little bit of everything that we do in the humanities department and everything that the humanities degree can in fact involve um, and on the one hand, that's a really cool thing. Like, it's like going to a buffet. You get to pick a little of all of the things that you could possibly want. Um, and as a result, we're going to touch on a lot of different stuff. There's going to be some history, and there's going to be some art criticism, and there's going to be some music theory, and there's going to be some literature, and there's going to be some philosophy, and there's going to be some, like, sociology and politics and all sorts of things. We're just going to dabble in a little bit of a ton of different stuff. Um, but on the downside, there's going to be a lot to do. Like, there's going to be a lot of reading, there's going to be a lot of lectures, and it's all going to be packed into these seven weeks. Um, so where I would usually have, like, two lectures recorded for you in a given week, and you could listen to them at your leisure, instead we're basically being going to compact what would be, like, two weeks worth of class into every one, and there will be four lectures, and it will be crazy busy. Um... If you don't know what you're getting into, I hope you've talked to someone on this one because this is going to be really rigorous. Um, and, you know, as much as you can come to me and say it is too much work, the fact of the matter is, like, I've taught this class in a normal setting many, many times. It's pretty hefty even by that standard, but it's going to be a lot in here. 
Um, so, you know, if you need this class, great. I will help you in any way that I can. It is my goal to help you succeed in this class no matter what the circumstances are. Um, but know that it's going to be a lot of workload and it's going to be real easy to get over your head if you don't keep up. Um, so with all those warnings in mind, let's talk about the positives on the other hand. Um, one of the projects that is kind of unique to Montclair's Humanities Department um, is that everyone who teaches these classes, like the mythology classes or the, the general humanities classes, we all come from a fairly wide variety of different backgrounds. Like back when we used to meet before the COVID times, um, we would get together like every year around the fall and you know just talk shop and talk about innovations of the course and general education requirements and so on and so forth. And it would be just a weird group. Like we'd have anthropology professors and we'd have, you know, classics uh, people and we'd have like literature people and language people. I specifically am a philosophy person. Like in my other work across various campuses in Northern New Jersey, um, I teach intro to philosophy, I teach ethics. Um, I aspire to get my PhD in philosophy and eventually like write about and teach stuff on philosophy of language and semiotics. Um, and that's not necessarily the norm in this department. Like most of the, the backbone of the department was, was founded from classics people, um, people who studied like ancient Greek and Roman literature, um, which is really cool. Like there's a lot of good stuff there, but at the same time, like that's not my background. Um, so, and that's okay. Like, that's kind of what they want. Um, so the fact of the matter is, like, you can walk into my class and get a completely different experience than you would get from walking into Dr. Berenger's class or than you would from um, going into Dr. Alvarez's class. Like, we all teach this class very differently with a lot of different priorities. There are some things that are absolutely the same. We all read Faust. We all have one particular assignment in common. But we have a great deal of latitude as far as what we want to teach, how we want to teach it, what like we want to focus on, and all of that. And as a philosophy person, I am going to primarily want to focus on the ideas. Um, so, you know, big shocker, like philosophy guy wants to focus on the philosophy and the ideas underlying these texts. Um, now that said, I'm not going to like neglect the other dimensions. We're going to talk about art, we're going to talk about music, and we're going to talk about literature for sure. But I am going to be looking at that literature specifically with an eye to understanding the culture that produced it. And that's kind of the goal of this whole big general humanities project. We are going to look at 500 years of Western history, a huge period the entirety of the modern period as it is understood like we're going to talk about everything from the renaissance to basically the modern day although we're not going to get like exactly the you know the 21st century so we're probably going to trail off around the 1950s um but we just we're going to try and understand the sort of change in western culture the way that our attitudes the way that history itself has brought us to this point um, we're going to be going from one of the most radical transformations in Western history to where we are now, how we got through this point. Um, this is technically the second of the two General Humanities classes, like General Humanities 1 covers basically the dawn of human history all the way to the Renaissance, but you do not need to know it in order to get 
this class. Like, this class is supposed to be self-contained, and I think it mostly succeeds. Because, again, the difference between the medieval and the modern period is so wild and radical um, that it's kind of like starting fresh. It is a rebirth, a renaissance. Um, but we'll talk about that in the lectures to come. What I want to stress for now is in this project, like, it is just way too big for anyone to sort of get a good sense of like everything that's going on, for us to cover every major text that was written in this period, for us to you know cover every major political movement or every country's fiddly developments. Instead, we're just looking at big picture. And to guide us through that, the way that Montclair works it is we're going to study two primary myths that are very common and that are frequently repeated throughout the modern period, specifically the myth of Faust, which is the story of the guy who sells his soul to the devil for money or power or wisdom or whatever, and the story of Don Juan, who is the famous, like, chauvinistic romancer who seduces all of the women and gets off relatively scot-free until the commander shows up and drags him to hell, like you do. Um, at any rate, we're going to look at the way that these myths have developed over this 500-year period and use it kind of as the key to unlocking the sort of cultural assumptions in each moment of this movement. Because the way that these stories change reflect the way that the culture is changing. The way that you understand the devil in 1600 is going to radically differ from the way you understand it in 1930. Um, the way that you understand love and romance in the 17th century is going to look wildly different from the way that you understand it in the 21st. Um, and I want to sort of track that movement. I want to use these stories as a way to sort of measure the changes, see how good and evil differ from time to time, see how interpersonal relationships have matured and grown and changed based on the cultural circumstances, based on the economic circumstances, based on what people know, and based on what we value. This is about values at the end of the day. We're going to look at how we changed what we value in 500 years. Um, so on the one hand, lots of stuff, lots of workload, lots of reading over the next several weeks. On the other hand, I really think it'll be interesting and productive and insightful. Like it's an opportunity for us to see big picture everything that's going on. Like with a lot of, it's, a, it's an opportunity to, to provide context. Um, which is so lacking. Like, it's so easy to, you know, memorize your dates and memorize the times that certain battles happened or, you know, no big important people who had major changes, but it's so hard to see what is surrounding them, to see why Otto von Bismarck is important or to understand, you know, how World War I came about or to see, like, what the big deal is with the Protestant Reformation. Um, these are all just names until you put them in context. And I hope to get at least a little bit more of that context so that when you go forward and take your class on Shakespeare, you know where in this whole historical sweep he belongs. When you end up doing, you know, a class on like Darwin or Darwinian biology or Freud and psychology, you can see how the culture around them had sort of paved the way for the development of these big people with their big ideas. Um, that's at least ostensibly the goal of this class. Whether or not we succeed will be another matter. Um, now, 
I'm going to spend this lecture, surprise, surprise, going over the syllabus. So if you aren't already looking at the syllabus, I highly recommend you pull it up. Um, on our Canvas page, you will find that, on, that I have provided like a complete breakdown of all of our assignments and the entire schedule of readings for this class. Like everything you need to know is on the modules page, which is also the home page for our purposes. So if you navigate to Canvas and you go to the modules page, you will see right there at the top, it'll say syllabus discussion. You will find this lecture, which, you know, not sure how you're listening to this if you haven't figured this out. Um, and you will find the syllabus itself. So please do pull up the syllabus because we are going to talk about it in significant detail. Um, it is important to understand how this class is going to work uh, before we go diving into all of our various writers and readings and so on and so forth. So pull that up, open it up, look at the heading it says general humanities 2 it gives you all the little fiddly details about me like my email address kozlowski b at mail.montclair.edu feel free to contact me whenever you want um, but let's jump in by starting about the textbook um, or textbooks sort of um, so we have two textbooks for this class basically we're only going to be spending like a week on each um, because most of the readings I'm just going to pull from various corners of the internet or provide myself. Um, the fact of the matter is, because we are doing a survey, because we're only like reading a little bit of a lot of things instead of a lot of a few things, um, textbooks are kind of hit or miss here. Um, so the two things we are going to read in substantial detail are Faust Part 1 by Goethe. This is perhaps one of the greatest works of modern literature. Like over and over and over again when people talk about like, you know, what are the greatest, greatest works of modern literature, this one frequently makes the list. It is at this, you know, huge moment in uh, artistic history, like the birth of Romanticism via the Sturm und Drang movement. Um, and Goethe is one of the greatest writers. Like he is Shakespeare to the Germans, like this foundational poet and writer who very much defined the culture as it stands today. Um, so we're going to be reading Faust Part 1 in its entirety. We're not going to touch Faust Part 2. Like, I'll talk about it a little bit in the lecture, but that's as, as much as it comes down to. Like, nobody reads Faust Part 2. I don't think I've read Faust Part 2 in its entirety at this point. Uh, they'll probably come close by now. Um, Faust Part 1, though, huge deal. Like, it changed the whole culture. It is foundational to that movement. Um, so we're going to read it in basically its entirety. It is not that long. It, like the, the version that I list there is the Oxford World Classics Edition, which I highly recommend you get um, because then, you know, when I quote page numbers or, you know, quote the text directly, you'll have the same thing instead of somebody else's translation with somebody else's page numbers. So it's way easier to follow along. Like you can find it online for free, but I don't recommend it because it'll just be a mess trying to keep up. Um, plus, the text is cheap. Like, I think last I saw it, it's on Amazon for like five to six bucks. You can get it from the school store. Not sure if it's listed for this class specifically. Frequently that gets confused. Um, but I know other people are teaching it, so if you look around, you can definitely find the book. Um, the other text we are going to talk about at some length, and it is one of my personal favorites, is Mikhail Bulgakov's The Master and Margarita, um, which isn't nearly as important a work. Like, it doesn't have this sort of foundational epic significance to the whole Western canon, um, but it is good. Like, it's a masterpiece. And every time that I teach it, I just 
fall in love with it more. Um, it is a rollicking good time about the devil showing up in Soviet Russia and wrecking the place, along with his pals, the broken glass choir master, the fanged hitter and a sentient talking cat who affects gentility like it's it's oh i can't even it's so good um we are not going to be able to read too much of it in this class because we are moving at quite the pace um but we are going to read quite a bit and we're going to get some of the best scenes so absolutely pick that up um the translation i have specified is peter and volokonsky's big 50th anniversary penguin classics edition again highly recommend you get that edition there are other translations out there i've used a couple of them they are good and very different um, because they're working from different texts um, it's a fairly crazy story we'll get into that um, but i highly recommend this one it's again the one that i'll be quoting in class it'll be the one that i be i'll be pulling page numbers from so it'll just be way easier to pick it up this one I think is a little more expensive than the Faust edition. I want to say it's somewhere in like the $15 to $20 range. If you can find it cheaper, great. If you can find it used, go for it. Uh, like I teach this every semester, so I imagine that they're in circulation. Um, if you can't find it, let me know. I can probably track down a copy or something for you on the cheap. Um, at any rate, do pick those up if you can. Um, we'll be reading Faust about halfway through the semester, which for us means in three weeks. Um, so you've got time on it. Like don't panic if you don't have the book and can't get it immediately um we're we're going to be reading a lot of other stuff in the meantime and all of those texts i will be providing um in part because i decide what the excerpts are in part because i don't want to have to make you buy like 20 different books which we're only going to be reading a little bit from um but keep that in mind like do get faust part one do get the master and margarita um both of them will be read in the second half of the class so no huge priority um and just you know feel free to keep up with all the little weird readings that i throw at you in the meantime um moving on if you have any questions about the textbooks obviously feel free to email me um, but let's move on to the conduct section um, I imagine this is pretty boilerplate. You probably see one of these on like every syllabus and you've probably heard this lecture many times before as long as you've been in college. Um, this shouldn't come as any surprise. Like I don't think anything on this list is going to be exceptionally striking or shocking. Um, so first off, students should pay attention to lectures and other course materials. Um, this is so like pointlessly straightforward that I imagine that it's almost surprising that you'll find it here um, but I did want to kind of say it like because I know things have gotten kind of weird lately um, obviously at this point you know we, we've been sort of locked down quarantined for the better part of a year um, like it was March of last year that we got into this situation now it is April when you were listening to this I assume um, and we are no farther along in the process, it seems, besides, you know, the vaccination now actually being out there in theory, hopefully fairly readily available by this point in the future. I'm recording this in January, like, I'm way back. Actually, it's February now. Good grief. Um, at any rate, the trouble with these online courses, these sort of removed COVID quarantined courses, is that it's really easy to just sort of drift off um and there's not going to be any accountability in here like 
I mean, there will be. You will obviously get a bad grade if you don't turn stuff in. Um, but I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder. Like, I have literally no way of doing that. We don't have an in-person session, so I can't, like, give you the face when you don't turn in your assignments. Um, we don't have an asynchronous, like, Zoom or Canvas conferences component, so you're not going to be, like, meeting me every week. Instead, it's just, good luck. Here's your assignments. Go to it. Um, which means that the only person who is arbitrating you doing your work is you. Like, I am teaching three other classes in addition to this one, and it's going to be real crazy at this point in the year because I'm going to be grading all of the things. Um, chances are, if you miss some big assignment, I'm just going to write a note on the assignment itself, like no submission received, and that'll be it. Like, I'm not even going to email you because I really don't have the time. Um, so if you want to get through this class, you're going to have to police yourself on that one. Um, and again, it's going to be a lot. Like I'm going to be throwing these readings at you fast and hard, and it's going to be like whiplash in some cases. We're going to be moving through like a hundred years of history every week. Um, it's, I can barely fathom how it's going to work on your end. Like on my end, I just have to record the lectures, but... Um, at any rate, what I want to stress is you got to pay attention. Like, it's going to be real easy to tune out on these lectures to, you know, like, watch some silly video of something while you were listening to them or, you know, be doing something else and only half be paying attention or to be texting someone while I'm lecturing. You know, resist that temptation as much as you can. Turn your phone off or you know, like only listen to this and have no other apps running, you know, have the book open in front of you, pay attention, take notes, like do everything you can to make this important to you or else it will very quickly not be important and you'll fall away and your grade will reflect that. Um, so this is super important as vague and undefined as it may be and as sort of blatantly obvious as it is. Um, if you've been doing the COVID thing, you've probably watched this happen. If not to you, probably people you know. It's going to be real easy to drift away from this class, especially with all the craziness I'm expecting you to do. Don't let that happen. Um, get into a routine. Get into a habit of listening to the lectures, all of them, getting through the readings, like setting aside time to focus on them. And if you can't, you're going to really struggle in here. Like, it's just not going to be easy. Um, like, I'll do the best I can on my end, but there, I, I can't fix these things. Like, I can't change your, your study habits, your home life, anything like that. Um, so again, as much as possible, focus. Um, and, you know, these are all recorded lectures. Feel free to rewind back up. If you, I said something and you didn't hear it or you were confused or whatever, listen to it again. Um, like, the, all the power is in your hands, which is great if you are, you know, determined to get through this class. And it is bad if you are inclined to be distracted. Um, so keep that in mind. Second, late assignments will not be accepted without prior consultation with the professor, i.e. before the assigned due date. That's kind of bullshit. I am typically a pushover when it comes to push, like extensions and accepting late assignments and so on. Um, in general, like any of my students who turn in a late assignment, I'm usually willing to accept it with like a fairly minimal point deduction. Um, 
But first all, first off, I put this in here because it does, you know, cover my ass. Like on the one hand, I will not accept a paper if it's like turned in in June, um, obviously for various reasons. Um, assuming that I even see it, because at that point I probably won't be checking my email and instead be bathing on the beach in the Bahamas, like I can afford that. Um, but at any rate, like do get your assignments to me preferably on time and if you do need help don't be afraid to ask like i am totally willing to give you an extension if we can afford it um as long as i know beforehand that you need it so if you you know send me a frantic email 15 minutes before the assignment is due and say professor like my power is out or there's a snowstorm or i'm taking care of my family or somebody is sick and you know whatever i cannot get this in on time can i turn it in tomorrow or the next day i will most likely email you back and say sure no problem like just get it to me by the end of the day saturday or the end of the day sunday and that'll be all there is to it easy peasy um but if you get me the same email 15 minutes after the assignment is due i'm going to be way more skeptical um the key to this class, especially in these weird, crazy circumstances, but with the COVID and the compressed schedule and everything, is make sure that you and I are on the same page. Um, again, just as I was emphasizing a moment ago that you cannot, cannot drift away from this class, I also need to emphasize that one of the best ways to not drift away in this class is to build a conduit, a conversation with me. Like, send me an email. It doesn't even have to be important. Like, you can just say, hi, professor, I am your student, and I want to really do well in this class. And I'll be like, oh, okay, cool. And you will have established a bond. You will establish a connection, and I will know who you are. You will not just be a face on my roster. Um, that helps me to understand where you're at. It helps me to be more forgiving when I know what's going on. Like... I know that there's crazy shit happening. There's crazy shit happening for everyone. Um, last semester, I had a student in one of my philosophy classes. She was a single mother with two kids who was also a full-time nurse at a hospital in the middle of the peak of the pandemic. It was a bad situation. And she told me straight out, like first week, this is my situation. Is there anything that you can do to help? And I said, you know, well, it's a little early, but ask me for help when you need it and I will be glad to give it to you. And she did. Like there were multiple times she's like, I can't get this paper on time because I got this second shift. And it's like, okay, then get it to me by the end of the weekend. And she would and everything would be fine. Um, I know shit happens, like especially now. Everything is chaos. Um, but as long as I know where you're at and what you're dealing with, then I will be way more understanding and way more forgiving and I will give you every chance that I can to help you succeed. Now, those chances are gonna be considerably reduced because of, again, the frenetic pace that our schedule works at. Like, it's one thing for me to say, yeah, sure, I'll accept late assignments when I'm talking about, say, the assessment paper, which is due on May 7th and is like two weeks before the class ends. It's a whole nother ball game when we're talking about the research paper, which is due on literally the last day of the class. Like, I can't push that date around. Like, I have to get grades in a couple days after that. Um, but generally speaking, like if you can't turn in a response paper on time, if you can't turn in the assessment question on time, that's fine. Just let me know and I will totally work with you. I will help you turn in your best work and get your best grade. Um, but in order to do that, I need to know where you're at. I need you to be able to talk to me. So throughout this process, 
feel free to email me. Feel free to contact me. I will make exceptions for you when those exceptions are warranted. Um, I will help you in any way that I can. Now, the one exception to this is, of course, plagiarism. Don't plagiarize in my class. Plagiarism will not be tolerated. Plagiarized assignments will immediately receive zero credit. This is the one place where I am going to draw all of the lines. I am sick to death of plagiarism. Last semester, I had something like a third of my students, like across all of my classes, plagiarize some assignment at some point in the semester. And I am fucking done with plagiarism. Like, done. So if you turn on a plagiarized assignment in my class, that's it. Zero, period, no coming to me afterwards and be like, oh, professor, I'm so sorry that I... Nope, don't care. Zero, zero, zero. That's all you ever get from me. You were warned. Let it be known. Um, if you have trouble with citations, let me know as soon as humanly possible. We will work that out. Um, if you can't turn in a paper on time and you were being tempted to plagiarize, just turn in a half-assed piece of garbage instead because I will give you a way better grade on that than I will ever give you for a plagiarized assignment. And if you do plagiarize, I will most likely bust you. I am very attentive to it at this point in time and there is not going to be any wiggle room if you do in fact plagiarize in my class. So don't do it. We'll come back to that. Next, students should conduct themselves professionally and should preserve the classroom setting as a place for free intellectual discourse. Harassment based on race, sex, gender, religion, or ability will not be tolerated. Again, this should be pretty boilerplate, but I do want to stress it here especially. Again, I'm a philosophy teacher. Like, as a consequence, I am used to having conversations about pretty serious stuff in my classes. And the general humanities class is not going to be an exception. Um, religion especially is going to be something we're going to be talking about a lot. We're going to talk about Christianity a lot because Christianity is the dominant religion throughout this period and because the whole understanding of the Faust story is selling your soul to the devil is rooted in Christian thinking. Um, so as a consequence, we're going to be talking about religion, we're going to be talking about science, we're going to be talking about politics, we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are the sort of things that you prevent your uncle from talking about at Thanksgiving dinner because everybody gets really upset at him when he talks about it. Um, we don't have the luxury of being able to just, like, censor everybody's ideas in here. Um, and we are going to discuss these ideas, like the discussion board questions are going to be a major component of how we interact with each other and how we understand these texts in here. So the only way that we can do that, the only way that we can actually exchange interesting ideas about religion or science or about politics or whatever, is if we're all going to be careful about this. And careful on two sides. We have to assume the best of everyone. And we have to work the best we can while talking to people, if that makes sense. Um, on the one hand, we have to act, whether this is grounded in reality or not, we have to act as though ideas and people are two separate things. That a good person can have a bad idea and vice versa. And just because a person has a bad idea or an idea that we disagree with or an idea that we think is silly doesn't mean we should disrespect that person as a person, if that makes sense. Um, for our purposes, what I want to stress here is that you can absolutely say, you know, like, 
that you find the romantic idea of Christianity more compelling than the Renaissance idea of Christianity, or that you are glad that the scientific revolution has like put to pasture all of these sort of mythologized versions of creation, that's okay. Um, but I definitely don't want you coming at students who are Christians or who aren't Christians, who, you know, have a re certain religious conviction and saying you are bad for having that idea. You are bad for following that series of convictions. Um, it's almost never that simple. Um, and while, you know, I do want to foster debate like i do want us to discuss these things to have conversations about like what is involved in romanticism what is involved in you know the rococo what is involved in the scientific revolution what changes as a result of the 19th century like big ideological scientific movements like you know the the sort of critical attitude that schleiermacher brings to the bible um, i want to have those discussions and i want us all to feel relatively safe having those discussions i want us to defend what we believe i want us to you know be able to understand these movements and characterize these movements in ways that are meaningful and interesting um and as a result i need us both to absolutely abstain from attacking people like do not make it personal or i will stop on you and on the flip side don't let it become personal until there's no way around it like if somebody calls you an idiot they're a bad person for calling you an idiot but if somebody says you know like christianity was very much disappeared from europe in the 19th century an argument that you know has some fairly significant backing you shouldn't read that as christianity is dead and if you were a christian you should not react by saying that's you know intolerant or that's you know wrong um you should respond to it not as a personal attack but as an ideological suggestion um so to put it bluntly, I do want you to stand up for your convictions. I do want you to argue what you believe, but I don't want you to attack people for what they believe, and I don't want you to take it personally when somebody disagrees with what you have to say. I want there to be sweat in here. I want us to be uncomfortable and challenged by these ideas and the discussion of these ideas, but I don't want blood and I don't want tears. I don't want us to go pick fights with other students, and I don't want us to be hurt by other students unnecessarily or otherwise so in the discussion boards feel free to exchange your ideas i will moderate as much as possible but i do intend to stay out of it as much as possible i want you to have the conversation you don't need to know what i think that's what the lectures are for um but i expect you to remain civil here think of it as good practice because the internet is a really bad place to do that these days like there are a lot of awful people on the internet with no accountability who are willing to just say whatever stupid idiotic nonsense comes into their brain just so they can antagonize people. Um, it is often easier for people on the internet to just call each other horrible names and make the worst assumptions about each other. I can't tolerate that in here. You are not anonymous in this class and that should you know drive what you have to say. You are accountable to what you say you're accountable to what you say on the internet too no matter whether or not anyone can track you down for it but just because you've been able to sort of like protect yourself from that accountability doesn't mean that it goes away so get in the habit in this class and elsewhere of talking about this stuff civilly 
Because at the end of the day, if we are going to change minds, if you are going to have like this huge disagreement with people online, you're going to do a lot better convincing them over to your side if you treat them like human beings than you will if you just go for their throats. Um, so again, get in the habit. Let's think like scholars. Let's speak like academics. Let's treat each other civilly and let's respect each other until it becomes impossible to do so anymore. Let's let these ideas, let's see how they look. Let's see what, they, what their worth is. Let's give them the chance they deserve. Because, you know, a lot of the things we talk about have been, you know, really powerful to a lot of people. They've moved people for hundreds of years in some cases. These were really important to a lot of people a lot of the time. So let's treat that with the respect that it deserves. Now, the next thing I want to mention is this last point. Pride is overrated. Questions and mistakes are encouraged. Uh, this one I added fairly recently to basically all of my syllabi, philosophy and humanities, because one thing that I want to kind of emphasize in here and one thing that I want to sort of teach you to do in general is to screw up. Like, I realize that you're in a really weird, complex social situation, made all the more weird and complex by COVID and 2020 politics and God knows what else. Um, I know that, you know, you were going to be hanging out on these discussion boards and listening to our lectures and so on and so forth. And it is absolutely in your best interest to look as smart and confident and capable and on the ball as you possibly can. And that is an important factor in your whole social organization that you know in order to keep friends you're going to have to look calm and cool and collected in order to you know attract the other sex or the same sex in either case you have to act like you've you are someone who is worth spending time with you are somebody desirable and sure yeah, we all deal with that. Like, absolutely, this is one of those crazy things that is just part of the whole weird social network of being a human being. But as far as, you know, being a student in my class, that's just going to get in the way. Um, you will learn way more if you ask questions, say dumb things, and, you know, look forward to learning something new instead. Like, it makes sense, doesn't it? Like, you can't learn anything unless you're first willing to admit that you are wrong, that you don't know something. Like, I assume that you're coming to this class knowing very little about the stuff we're going to talk about. You know, maybe you've read one or two of the texts we've read. Great, if that's the case, you've already got a foot ahead. Um, but for the most part, you won't. Like, that's why you need me. You know, I have read all this stuff a whole bunch of times, and the only way that I got to this point was... I was once a student like you with no idea what I was doing, and as a result, I learned a lot. Um, but the only way to do that is to admit you don't know stuff, that you aren't completely in control of the situation, that you need to learn more, that you are, in short, a dumbass right now. And that's fine. Like, we're all dumbasses. I'm a dumbass. Like, I'm dumbass more often than I'm smart these days. Um, there's way too much going on that I have no idea how it works. Um, and the best thing that we can do in order to become better people is to admit that we're a dumbass and move on. So leave your pride at the door. Like, make an arrangement with whoever it is in this class who, you know, is your friend or who you're dating or whatever, that you're going to look like a dumbass from time to time. 
and that's okay. Um, we will be better people if we all are willing to be dumbasses from time to time. If we are all willing to be patient with each other as dumbasses from time to time. Um, so again, fight is overrated. Ask those questions, make those mistakes, send me emails, ask for clarification, and don't feel obligated to apologize. I want to help. Like, I want to make this clear to you. And I know some of it is crazy difficult, and we are going to be going through it at a breakneck pace. Um, what's more, I want you in the department. Like, this is totally selfish on my end and the department's end, but, you know, we make more money and we get more perks the more majors we have. So if you find anything in this class interesting or you want to know more about it, send me an email. Like, I will be happy to talk to you about it. Like, let's talk about 17th century British politics or, you know, 19th century German idealism. Like, by all means, give me an excuse and I'll write a long email way more than you asked for. And, you know, you'll actually get a foot in the door on future classes and all sorts of things. The whole point of this class is, again, it's a buffet. Like, you take a little bit of a lot of things and anything that you like, you come back for more. You take another humanities class. Really like what I have to say about art history? Then go take an actual art history class. Really interested in German philosophy? Well, I'm sure that the philosophy department has a class for that. Um, so by all means, ask those questions, you know, look deeper into what we're talking about. That is all thoroughly encouraged. What's more, like, I know that a lot of these readings are going to be very difficult as a consequence. Like, they're going to be outside of what you're comfortable reading. They're going to be high-level, complex, difficult stuff. Um, and while I know that there are a lot of professors out there who will tell you, well, don't use Wikipedia or don't use Sparknotes. I don't want you doing anything outside of the class except what I assign to you. That is not me. Um, you go out there and you find stuff. Like if you find the Thug Notes version of Dante or, or of Paradise Lost and you listen to it and it makes everything make much more sense, great, keep it up. If you want to supplement what we're watching for the, the PowerPoint presentations and stuff, um, with like what you find on Crash Course or Extra History, go for it. Like find videos, find materials, go read and write and listen and watch whatever you can find on the internet to help make this stuff clear. Because we don't have a whole heck of a lot, lot of time to sort of clarify and fix those problems. So go out there, find that stuff. And honestly, if you find something really good, send it my way and I might even incorporate it into the class. Heck, I'll give you extra credit for it if it's really good. Um, in general, I want you to understand this stuff any way that you can. So whatever works for you, you do that. Like, don't feel obligated to like check with me first before you go poking around online for other stuff. The one thing I will say though, which should not come as a surprise, is cite it. Like, if you are getting ready to write your response paper on Don Giovanni and you visited Sparknotes to understand what the heck was going on with all this Italian singing nonsense, maybe just like drop a line in your response paper that says, hey, I checked the Sparknotes page before coming, to, before writing this paper, just in case there are similarities. Because, and oh look, here it is at the bottom of the page, academic integrity, plagiarism will not be tolerated, plagiarized assignments will immediately receive zero credit. I would rather you cite everything in this class ad nauseum and make sure that I know what you are using and when you were using it and how you were using it and so on than for me to bust you on plagiarism for something that really wasn't something that was your fault. 
Um, so cite everything. Like if you're going outside using other sources, great, keep it up. Um, it will hopefully help you learn. Um, but make sure that I know you're using those resources so I don't accidentally like confuse you doing research for you cheating. Um, now, the other question as far as this whole plagiarism business is concerned is, well, professor, how do I cite my sources? Um, how do you know that I'm not accidentally plagiarizing? Um, what is plagiarism in many cases? Like I get that one a lot. Like a lot of my students who plagiarize, they'll come to me afterwards and be like, oh, professor, I didn't know I was plagiarizing. So let's clarify that, shall we? Let's, let's fix this. There are three kinds of plagiarism out there, basically speaking. Um, the first and most obvious is you cut and paste like a whole chunk of spark notes. You slap it right into your paper and you hit send. And I look at it and I'm like, hey, look, that whole paragraph is from spark notes. This is clearly plagiarized. Bam, zero. You are utterly busted and you get no credit on the assignment and bad day for you. Um, that is word for word plagiarism it is by far the most obvious kind of plagiarism. I catch you like all the time on that. Um, there is very little opportunity for you to get that one past me, especially with Turnitin and everything that we've got going on. Um, so obviously that's plagiarism, don't do it. Um, however, there have been modifications lately. Um, the second kind of plagiarism is like a word for word plagiarism, but with modifications. You take that big chunk of copy pasted text from Sparknotes and you slap it in a Grammarly and Grammarly says, hey, what if you make this change? Or what if you make this change? And you're like, yes, make all of the changes. And now you have a text that was from Sparknotes but has been radically changed. Sentences have been switched around, words have been changed out, punctuation is different, sentence breaks are different, vocabulary has been shifted to synonyms, like it's barely recognizable. It's also barely recognizable as English. When I read it, I look at it and I'm like, this is just nonsense. It's utter gobbledygook. Like this person was clearly talking about romanticism and instead they're now talking about romance. Like that's not the same thing. Um, then as a result, I look and I poke around and I see, ah, this was originally from Sparknotes. It has too many of the same words in common and too many of the organization. Once again, plagiarism, zero busted end of story so don't do that either the third kind of plagiarism is the one that most students are concerned that i'm going to catch them doing even if it's not something they weren't doing intentionally that is paraphrase paraphrase is when you're basically taking the idea from somebody else um like rather than the actual words themselves so if you are reading through dante's inferno and you have this and you find a Sparknotes page that gives you this elaborate explanation of like the, the medieval symbolism employed in Dante's Inferno. And you're like, wow, that's a really great argument. I would like to incorporate that into my response paper. And you like look at paragraph one and it makes this point about the, about the uh, image that you see at the very beginning of Dante's Inferno. And in your paper, you in paragraph one, write about the symbolism of that one image in Dante's Inferno. And then in paragraph two, Sparknotes talks about how that symbolism applies to medieval history. And in paragraph two, of your paper you also talk about how that symbolism applies to medieval history and then paragraph three the spark notes version is talking about the conclusions that they make and you talk about the same conclusions in paragraph three of yours i look at the paper 
I'm like, hmm, this is clearly original language, but this argument sounds awfully familiar. Where have I heard this before? Oh yeah, it's from Sparknotes, which people have been plagiarizing from in my class for many years now, so I am very familiar with it. And as a consequence, I'm like, oh, this argument claimed directly from Sparknotes. Here are the comparisons. Paragraph one is the same as paragraph one here. Two is two, three is three. This is really obvious. Bam, zero, plagiarized, the end, no no coming back from it. Except in this case, if you would just said at the bottom of the page, by the way, I got this idea from Sparknotes, we're good. Like, okay, you did your research, good. Way to incorporate outside sources and you get a perfectly good grade. Like if all you've got to say is the same stuff that Sparknotes does, then you have other problems. Like then you, you know, I'm gonna criticize you for not including enough original work. But generally speaking, it's not plagiarized. Like, you'll get a C on that assignment, not an F. Um, so when in doubt, just cite and you'll be good to go. Again, I don't mind if you're using Sparknotes or Wikipedia or anything out there. Just make sure that I know you're using it. Don't try and like pawn it off on me as something wrong. Now it has happened, infrequently, but it has happened, that I have called people out on plagiarism that I then thought better of. I'm not entirely sure that they did or not. I obviously can't read my students' minds. If I could, that would make this a whole lot easier. Um, but generally speaking, it has been known to happen. I have seen a passage and I've been like, that looks way too much like this, and it turns out they weren't actually using that source, or it was a legitimate use of the source, or whatever the case may be. It doesn't happen often. Um, more often than not, it is pretty obvious it is very blatant it is extremely clear um and what's more it's usually like rampant throughout the papers so don't worry if that i'm going to like accidentally find out that you said something in exactly the same way as some other paper if there's doubt in my mind if there is any room for error i will typically give you the benefit of the doubt um, but generally speaking, if you are going to copy word for word from a source or modify it from a source or even take the ideas from another source in roughly the same order, that's plagiarism. Don't do it. Cite it instead. Like, by all means, include large swaths of stuff that you took from somewhere else. Just quote it and say where you got it from and we'll be good in here. Um, if you do have questions about citation, if this isn't making sense to you, if you missed that day in high school or whatever the case is, email me about it. Like, let's sort this out as quickly as possible because I'm not going to be the only professor who's going to be watching plagiarists like a hawk this semester. We are all sick to death of it. Um, so let's clear that up as soon as possible. Um, other stuff, we've got my office hours. Obviously, office hours are kind of a difficult thing to manage under the current circumstances. Um, in general, if my students need to meet with me for whatever reason, I will be happy to meet you either on Discord or on one of the various services offered by Canvas, Zoom, or the Canvas conferences. I will also be on campus every Tuesday this semester. Um, so if you are around and about or have other classes on campus, we can totally schedule to meet. That's fine with me. Um, but it is going to be by appointment. Like I'm not gonna be sitting around in Canvas twiddling my thumbs for an hour each week, um, hoping that 
I will be relieved from my boredom by students showing up to talk to me. Um, instead, if you want to talk to me, feel free. Send me an email, make an appointment. We can absolutely work something out. Um, don't be a stranger. Again, I would much rather you pester me with emails all semester long than sort of hide away and never talk to me for whatever reason. And the only thing I know is your name and your grade or lack thereof. Um, so by all means, contact me. Let's make that happen. Um, second, disabilities and special accommodations. If you have a disability, if you're registered with a special accommodations office, just let me know. Like they usually provide you with a paper that you can email or whatever to me and I'll give you extra time on the quizzes and stuff. That's no big deal on my end. Just make sure that I know as quickly as possible, especially in this semester because things are gonna like ramp up real fast in here. Um, Sooner I know, sooner I can make those accommodations, and the sooner you will be, you know, adequately prepared for learning everything you need to know in this class. So just let me know as soon as possible. Um, now the next page of the syllabus is kind of special. Um, this is how to be a student in this class. Um, and like I said, I am paranoid that you are going to drift away from this class if it hasn't become very obvious already. Um, I don't want you to become disconnected. I want you to succeed in this class. Like, as easy as it is for me to just stick zeros on papers of students who, you know, never do the work and have really checked out, it always destroys me a little bit when I have to do that. I would much rather that you be able to participate, that you keep up with the material that, you know, you learn, and so I don't have to fail you at the end of the semester. Um, so this is my basic guide. I want this class to be as regimented as possible. I want it to be as easy for you to like get into it and do what you want to do as possible. I don't want it to be like, you know, a giant question mark of ambiguity and, you know, miscommunication and me providing information badly. Um, so the routine that I want to foster, like what I expect you to do on a week to week basis is as follows. Um, in order to not drift away from the class, get into a weekly routine and a rigorous one. Because again, four lectures, like roughly two weeks of class packed into every one in this, in this semester. Um, so every week I expect you to, and this is like four times, I expect you to read and watch the material for that week. Virtually every week we are going to have probably not one, not two, but three or even four readings, or like one big one, something like that. Um, and I'm going to expect you to do all of that reading. Um, I'd honestly recommend that you do it piecemeal. Um, I structured this class originally as though it was a twice a week class over 15 weeks, as opposed to a like asynchronous online seven week class. Um, so as a consequence, the assignments are intended to be discrete, and you have roughly four assignments every week. Um, this week, for example, you should be listening to the syllabus and going over it with me in this lecture, as you are. Um, you will also have to read Dante, go over the video that I have hopefully provided at this point on the Renaissance and the Reformation, um, and you will have to read Marlowe's Dr. Faustus. Like that's a hefty amount of reading regardless of the situation. Um, but what I would suggest is treat each of those as discrete entities. Start with the syllabus lecture as hopefully you have. After you are done listening to this, after you've gone over the syllabus to your contentment, um, sit down with Dante, read the selection that I've picked out, um, take your notes if you want, listen to the lecture I've provided and 
work on all that before you go to the Renaissance lecture, before you go to the Christopher Marlowe lecture. Um, like you could definitely read all of the things and then listen to all of the lectures and then do all of the assignments, but I think it'll be easier to keep straight if you just do it bit at a time. Um, so with that in mind, what I would recommend is like repeat this process four times each week. Um, but let's get through the rest of the process before we get to that. Um, so always start by reading and watching the material. Always start by reading Dante. Then, second, listen to the course lecture for the week. So read your Dante, listen to my lecture. Hopefully that will help clarify it. If you need to go over it again, feel free while the lecture is going on, whatever. Um, but yeah, read the material, listen to the lecture. Then go to the discussion boards. Um, virtually every reading, like I haven't quite planned out exactly how it's going to work at this point, but virtually every reading will have a discussion board question attached to it. So you can all go out and talk about this stuff. Um, that is one of the major assignments I expect you to keep up with. Like that is as close to class participation as we're going to be able to get in this class. So that's how we're going to do it. Um, and it's also going to be like one of the most important ways that I make sure that you're reading everything that I have assigned. Um, so read the material, listen to the lecture, and go talk about it. Um, go make your obligatory post on the discussion board and feel free to read what other people have to say. Again, like that is the idea here, as time consuming as it may prove. Um, lastly, complete any and all assignments. Nine times out of ten, that means a quiz. Um, we'll talk about the quizzes more in detail in a moment, but roughly every week there's either going to be a quiz, a response paper, or something big and scary which will like eat up multiple quizzes. And I will typically be nicer about the quizzes and smaller assignments when there are big scary things on the horizon. So like the research paper at the end of the semester, there are just no quizzes due that week. Like you have the entire week to just work on the research paper and a little bit of reading um, at your discretion because um, I'm not even going to be holding you accountable on that one. But that's the idea. So read the material, listen to the lecture, participate on the discussion board, do any assignments related to it, and then wash, rinse, and repeat each week. So this week, again, you got the four assignments. You got your syllabus reading in lecture, we've got Dante, we've got the Renaissance and Reformation video, and we've got the um, Marlowe, Dr. Faustus reading. So when you're done with this lecture, start in on Dante. Read Dante, listen to the lecture, um, go do the discussion board question on Dante, and then do the Dante quiz. And then jump into the Renaissance stuff. Watch the videos that I've prepared, watch my big lecture video thing, um, go talk about the Renaissance on the discussion board, and then finish it up by taking the quiz. And again, for Christopher Marlowe, like read Dr. Faustus, get on the, or listen to the lecture, get on the discussion board, take the quiz. That's how it's gonna work. Like, do it one assignment a day if you want, if that's what your time allows. Do it multiple assignments on a single day as you see fit, but get into the habit. Like, make this schedule work in the schedule you've already got or it's gonna get away from you so fast. Um, like, and don't, oh, for the love of God, do not plan on doing all of the week's readings on a single day. Like, I'm going to be recording something like six hours of lectures for you, like, every week. Um, and while I expect that you'll probably end up not being able to get through all of it because there's just so much, the more you can get through, the better. So 
just don't don't subject yourself to like four hours of reading six hours of lectures and three hours of assignments on a single day like you'll just you'll die it, it won't work um, pace yourself as much as you possibly can build that into your habit build that into your routine do one of the major assignments every night or something and hopefully like we'll all get out of this alive um, and if you do have trouble again let me know um, worst case scenario if things fall apart if you know you get a week behind or something honestly just email me i'll give you instructions from there and most likely it will be ignore what's gone before and just push forward um, because you know once you get behind there's going to be no way to catch back up and it'll be way easier if you just like pick up with what we've got now and just keep moving forward um, there's just so much in here like this is every bit as intensive as like the one per semester intensive summer classes that I'm used to teaching um, so yeah like again email me if you have trouble just I'll help in any way that I can but if you get too far behind there's gonna be no help for it at that point it's just too much too fast um, so get into the routine good uh, let's talk about the actual grades and assignments and stuff um, which is obviously the next two pages of our syllabus. Um, so as I said, the main assignment you're going to run into, certainly the first assignment you're going to run into, there are already like three of them up this week, I suspect, um, is the reading quiz. Um, the reading quizzes are short 10 question multiple choice affairs. They're not meant to be terribly difficult or scary, but my questions are pretty nasty. So we'll come back to that. Um, importantly though, there are gonna be a lot of them and they're not worth that much of the grade. They're worth a total of 10% of your final grade, so it's not the end of the world if you botch a couple of them. Um, what's more, I am gonna be super generous about them. Um, there will not be any makeup quizzes, like they come and go, and if you miss them, they're gone, that's all there is to it. Um, all of them should be due on the Friday of the week that that reading is assigned, so like, just make sure that they are all done by that Friday. Treat the next week as though it's a whole different animal. Um, but um, I will be dropping the lowest four at the end of the semester. Like if you miss a week's worth of reading quizzes, it's not the end of the world because at the end of the day, they're all going to get dropped. Um, so don't, like if you miss them, don't say, oh, professor, I can't believe it. I totally forgot about this one quiz. I'm not going to reopen it for you. Instead, that'll just be one of the drops. If you have technical difficulties while the quiz is still active, like let me know. I can fix those for sure. Um, but I'm not going to do makeup quizzes, um, especially after the due date. See, the way the reading quizzes will work is every week you will get a new set of them like they will unlock they will magically appear from the bowels of canvas and show up on the modules page and you'll be able to click on them and complete them at your discretion until the friday that they're due at which point they will magically disappear again and you'll never see them again besides being able to see the grade that you got if you got one um and by then the next set of quizzes will be up and you'll be able to complete them the writing assignments will be up all the time. Only the quizzes are going to sort of like magically appear and disappear like this. And as a consequence, the quizzes are the only assignments that you can't do ahead of time if for some mad reason you're reading like eight assignments instead of just four every week, which, you know, you do you, but like, good grief. Um, at the very least, I cannot condone taking amphetamines in order to succeed at this class. Um, 
at any rate, like, if the quizzes are bringing you down, that's okay. They're meant to be tough, and there's a lot going on in these texts, and it is not abnormal for my students to be completely flummoxed by the quizzes, because I am inviting you to read very deeply um, in these particular texts. They are timed. They're a mere 10 minutes, so as to discourage you from, like, answering all the questions by Googling the questions or whatever, um, that I find is fairly effective, because if you are, in fact, looking up the answer every single time, the time will run out and you will get a bad grade anyway. So, again, read the stuff, listen to the lecture, then take the quiz. You should be, at that point, adequately prepared. Um, but even if they are still flummoxing you, even if they're talking about stuff that you missed or that you don't remember, not the end of the world. Four dropped quizzes, that'll help bring it up. Additionally, there will be three extra credit assignments over the course of our seven weeks. Um, and each one of those extra credit assignments, if you complete it, I will drop another quiz grade and add a 100% in its place, which will bring your grade up really fast if you are struggling with the reading quizzes. So again, they're going to be difficult. You are likely going to struggle with them. You may bomb regularly the reading quizzes. It is not uncommon for me to have students who like frequently get threes and fours and fives on the reading quiz week after week after week. Don't panic. That is not the end of the world. No one has ever failed my class due to a reading quiz grade. That just makes things worse for the things that do in fact fail them. Um, so again, like take them seriously, but don't panic about them. Um, be sure to get them every week because there will be a lot of them over the course of our mere seven weeks. There will be, there is at least one or two weeks where it's like four reading quizzes. Um, it's that nuts. Um, so just take them one at a time. Don't panic about them. And if you can look for the pattern so you can, you know, prepare for each successive quiz more adequately if you are concerned feel free to email me i can always help a little bit like there's only so much i can do on that one um but at any rate don't panic like not the end of the world if the reading quiz is not going well for you the next assignment that you'll see multiple times is the response paper twice over the course of the semester i will assign you a response paper by which i mean just a one-page response to whatever it is that we were reading um, and both of our response papers are attached to different assignments. I think one is for John Giovanni. I honestly forget what the second one is. Maybe it's Byron Shaw. I don't know. It's one of them. Anyway, there are two response papers. They're not meant to be high stakes assignments. Like the reading quizzes, I tend to be fairly generous in the grading process, um, even if you're a little bit intimidated by what the actual business of it is concerned. Um, the key to the response paper isn't so much that I'm looking for specific answers or specific observations about the readings as I want to see how you write. Um, again, we've only got seven weeks. There's not a whole lot of time for me to like help you with your writing. But I have been in more than my fair, of share, fair share of classes where, you know, the professor would show up to the first day and be like, all of your grade will be determined by the final 20 page paper in this class. And I would be like, oh, okay, so I got to work really hard on this one awesome paper. And I would get this paper research and I would do all this work and I would try and make it as perfect as possible. And I would like make this perfectly shining argument and produce this masterpiece of undergraduate or graduate work. And I would present this paper to my professor and be like, here it is, my magnum opus. And the professor would like look at it and flip through the pages. And it sniff maybe and hand it back and be like eh, it's a c plus 
And my response would be, what? C plus? I put my heart and soul into this paper. How can you possibly give me a C plus? Like, this is a masterpiece. This has got to be one of the greatest things I've ever written. And the professor would say, eh, it's got too many commas. And I know that professors can be assholes like that, that they can be very particular about one specific weird thing, and that'll tank your grade for no good reason. The response paper is your opportunity to figure out what my weird idiosyncrasies as a professor actually are. Um, you will get the opportunity to turn in both of these assignments, and I will grade them, and I will tell you what that grade means, and if you want to follow up with me and figure out what went wrong, you are more than welcome to. Um, in fact, if you want to become a better writer this semester, if you're just looking for feedback, if you want to knock the research paper out of the park, just email me. Say, Professor, could you give me more detailed feedback about my response paper? I'd really like to improve as a writer. And insofar as it is possible in my schedule, I will do that. I will take your paper and I will mark the shit out of it. I will use track changes or Google documents or whatever, and I will give you all the suggestions until you are sick and disgusted with them and you're worried that I think that you're a terrible writer but I don't, I'm trying to help you become a better writer. And you will be better prepared when it is in fact time to write the assessment paper or the research paper. Um, you will be in much better shape. Um, so use those response papers if you want to. Like if you're happy with whatever grade you get, that's fine. Like if you're aiming for a C in this class, that's cool with me, you can totally work with me and get your C. Um, but if you really want to improve, if this is the semester that you're going to change things, let me know, and I will absolutely help you out with that. Um, and the response papers are a good place to do it. The response papers, like the reading quizzes, are only worth 10% of the final grade, so again, it's not the end of the world if one of them comes in late or something. Um, additionally, they tend to be pretty high grades, like they are meant to offset the reading quizzes. Um, I rarely hand out grades lower than a B or B+. Plus on the response papers, like very rarely. Most people who complete the response papers will get an A or A minus, easy. Um, like it's, I'd start with that in mind. They are deliberately inflated. Um, so do not take them as being like indicative of your progress in the class. Like the reading quizzes, they're kind of a misnomer. They're kind of skewing the results a bit. Um, but we'll talk about that later in the semester when the response papers come back. Um, the two big assignments that you should keep your eye on for sure are the assessment question and the term paper, or the research paper as I will frequently call it. Um, the assessment question is the one assignment that is constant for all sections of General Humanities 2. Like, I have this assignment, Dr. Berenger has this assignment, Dr. Alvarez has this assignment, whoever you take this class with, that's, you're gonna get that assignment. Um, the assignment is, you gotta write 750 words talking about one of the works we discuss in class, with the question, we are considering the role of the individual in society and toward God by looking at the myths of Faust and Don Juan. Select any of the works that we have read or discussed and show how you think that particular work is connected to the historical period in which it is produced. That's it. No research, no citations necessary. Just talk about one of the things that we've read in this class and talk about how it is connected to the historical period in which it was composed. That's it. Talk about Mozart and the late 18th century Enlightenment neoclassical thing. Talk about Faust and early Romanticism. Talk about Marlowe and the Reformation. Talk about Milton and the 17th century British Revolution. That's it. Like, all you gotta do. Um, it is 
tough in the sense that, you know, it's not something you can probably do right now. And I imagine that it actually sounds intimidating as I'm describing it. But by the time that we get to like the third, fourth, fifth week of this class, when this assignment is due, you'll be more than prepared. We will have had a lot of practice doing this stuff. I will have done it for you, like by example, you will have been invited to do it on the response papers and the discussion boards. You should at this point be equipped for it. If not, send me emails, we'll sort it out. Um, the research paper is the big one though. Um, the assessment question is a mere 750 words. It's like two to three pages, I think, all, when all is said and done. The research paper is 1500. It is like four to five pages. Um, and the question here is choose two works from different time periods within either the Faust or Don Juan tradition, i.e. two Don Juan works or two Faust works. Then in the paper, analyze each of the two works and explain how each author chooses to portray this common story according to the priorities and assumptions of the time period. This is just me fancily explaining that I want a comparison and contrast paper in short. Um, I want you to look at two different tellings of the same story, either Faust or Don Juan, and contrast them, compare them. Show me what each author chose to retain from the original legend of Faust or Don Juan and what they chose to get rid of, and why. Why did Goethe decide that his Faust would be saved at the end of the story where Marlowe decided to have him damned? Why did Moliere's Don Juan ultimately seduce tons of women and be destroyed while Byron's Don Juan was himself seduced and is kind of an innocent? Um, why is this important? Why are these distinctions such a big deal? And what about the historical context informs those decisions? Why is Marlowe's version of Faust a Protestant you know, fable and cautionary tale where Goethe's Faust is more of a romantic, suffering-based, emotional journey of discovery and self-awareness. What about these two moments in history drove these two writers to have such different attitudes about this character that is effectively the same person, the story that comes from the same source? Um, that's what I'm asking there. Now, I invite you to keep multiple different factors in mind, like religion, scientific advancement, major historical events, and major artistic movements. That should be background stuff. Like, you should be able to sort of grab this stuff and bring it into your discussion as far as it informs each writer and what that writer is thinking. But again, that's stuff we're going to be doing all over the place in this class. That's the goal here, to help you see the context to help you see why Goethe is looking at the same story as Marlowe and coming to radically different understandings of how that story should be portrayed. Um, that's the goal here. Now the last two grading bits that you have to worry about are the class participation grade, which mostly has to do with like, are you in fact participating in the, the discussion boards? Are you in fact like keeping up with me as you know a participant in the class? Um, and lastly, the midterm. We will in fact have an online objective, mostly midterm. Um, I've abolished the final exam because there's no point in me demanding both a final exam and a research paper from you in the same week of this class. Like that is just too much. I, I am at least somewhat merciful. Um, despite any skepticism you may have about that in the coming weeks. Um, 
so no final, but we will keep the midterm around. Um, right around the time that we finish Goethe, I'll throw the midterm at you, and we will review it. You'll be adequately prepared. I will do everything I can. Um, we might even schedule an online session in the class just in case you want to talk questions and answers and stuff. Um, so don't worry about that. We'll get to it, um, and you will be adequately prepared for it when we get there. Um, other than that, because that is like the sum total of the syllabus. If you do have any questions, I did provide a schedule on the syllabus. And again, that schedule is basically mirrored on the Canvas page. Like if you go to the modules page, you will find all of our assignments laid out. You should be able to see very easily on a week to week basis what you're supposed to do at any given week. Um, if you do have any questions about it, again, feel free to email me. That is the whole way that this class is going to work. Like don't sit there in the dark like oh i guess i'll figure it out like no just clarify with me now it'll be way easier than finding out that you missed something you know two or three weeks down the line um this is going to be a rough one and with that in mind i will be as patient with you as i can afford to do like i will give you every benefit of the doubt that i can um just again keep in touch with me like don't let that go to waste don't be a stranger. Don't, you know, sit in your corner and act like I'm too busy for you. No, I want to hear from you. Like, I would much rather know what's going on than, you know, us to never speak at any point during this class. Um, so if you have questions, shoot them my way. Send me a message on Canvas. Send me an email. Schedule office hours appointments, however you want to do it. Like, whatever makes this work for you. Um, other than that, for next week and I guess for the next assignment we'll be reading Dante we'll be going over the Renaissance we'll be reading Marlowe it should be pretty wild um, so our next assignment what you should be picking up immediately after finishing this lecture or you know whenever you're starting in so yes go to the modules page check out whatever the Dante reading is um, Cantos 1 to 3 or 4, 1 to 4, and Canto 34, because of course we're going to hit like the actual devil in his actual home. Um, and be ready for the next lecture. I will talk to you as soon as you are ready.